Hello and welcome to the Get French with Ball News preview show this evening. I'm your host, Eric Devin. We have a combination show lined up for you this evening, and with Philip Argyle joining myself and Nathan Staples to talk Les Bleu before Adam White and Peter Bowler come in to preview a bumper weekend of Ligue 1 action in 20 minutes' time. France stumped Bulgaria 4-1 on Friday, Kevin Gamero's brace being the big story, as the Atletico Madrid striker found the back of the net for his country for the first time in over five years. Antoine Griezmann and Dimitri Payet were also on the score sheet in a match that saw the hosts forced to battle back after conceding an early penalty. Mirrors cropped up again on Monday evening, despite a crucial result away in Holland. Paul Pogba's goal was all that separated the two sides in a 1-0 win, and Hugo Lloris was forced to make some crucial saves. The result does see France in clear control of the group ahead of November's match against Sweden. The under-21 team was not so lucky, however, as despite a 3-0 win away to Northern Ireland, the team finished a point off the pace in their group, marking yet another failed European Championship qualification campaign. But let's start with the senior side. Nathan, you and I had a bit of a debate yesterday on Twitter, friendly between ourselves, uh, but maybe not so for some of our followers. I am happy to report that my house has not yet been burned down. <laughs> but let's talk about Paul Pogba. How good was he against the Netherlands, and why didn't we see that player in the prior three matches for France? I thought he was excellent against the Netherlands. Um, this is the kind of performance that you really want to see from a player like Pogba, where he gets involved and he dictates the way that France play. And that was through... I think he had 99 touches overall, which was more than anyone else on the field, which shows you how active he wanted to be in this game. And when he's like that, he can be a real pendulum swinger and give your team real momentum. And he, I thought he did excellently at switching the play to bring the fullbacks forward, um, Kazar and, and Dribio Subedibi, although the service wasn't excellent at, at all times. Um, I thought he linked defence um, from midfield to attack very well. Um, he's, especially that passing play he had with Marshall in the second half that, that almost made that second goal. The, the first goal is, it's a it's a decent strike, but Stecklenburg should absolutely be saving something like that. It's um, it's more something on the goalkeeper's part than his. And I, I think this, the celebration has been seen as a bit of a, um, a smug sort of moment for Pogba, but it's almost like he was... It looked like he was a bit like, well, the keeper should really do better with that. Um, it was a strange one. Um, but I thought he was excellent. I thought he really, when he plays like this, it can make any team that bit better. On another day, France were more um, dangerous in the final third. If uh, someone, especially like Antoine Griezmann, who didn't have the best of games, and Kevin Gamero was very isolated, um, if he would have been able to have better players in front of him to create a little bit more from the work he did, it might have been accentuated a little bit more because... Um, especially in that second half, the, the the attacking players were a bit anonymous. I thought, especially, I, I don't know if anyone else saw this, but when um, when they brought on the sub of Marshall for, for Paye, Sissoko seemed to wander every... He was defensive midfield, he was up front, he was on the left wing for a bit. I, I don't know what he was doing for a moment, but it completely lost the shape. That's why it was such a weirdly uneven second half. But um, yeah, um why this hasn't turned up in the past three matches, it's it's always difficult to tell. Um, whether you put that on Pogba or whether you put that on management, I don't know. Um, I would probably put it more on the Frenchman. Um, he does need to get more involved. That's that's what the, the thing is. He needs to make sure he's getting involved in these games because when he does, he affects them. He always looks positive. He always looks forward. So if you can get him more involved, and maybe, again, that's maybe something then you lean on Deschamps for maybe try and get him more involved with maybe someone else beside him that allows him more freedom um, or players in front of him that allow him more creative options to pass to, then 
that's maybe a way forward. But it's a it's a bit of both. You can't. You, I don't think you can take the push without the shove. It's interesting what you said, um, Nathan, um, about Martial because I thought when when the substitute actually happened, when Payet was replaced by um, Martial, I actually thought uh, Martial, Martial and um, and Sissoko switched switch side because we saw we saw uh, we saw Sissoko on the uh, left wing for. Mm quite a long amount of time. I think it was from five to ten minutes. So I thought yeah. they, they switched side because the uh, the Dutch right back was uh, was a very fast uh, fast guy. Yeah. And that uh, uh, um, Sissoko is uh, is such a is uh, you know you know such a versatile player who you know forward he can do the defensive work he can he can work in, in the midfield. But then then he, he reverted back to uh, to uh, to the right wing and then went to, went to um, we we saw we saw him also in a as you said in a, in a defensive midfield uh, position, uh, but it's strange. it's. Uh, I think uh, going back on on the only chance the the Dutch did have, um, I thought it was uh, it was a real shame because the uh, chance actually came from a bad back pass from Anthony Martial towards Levin Kuzawa, which led to a cross, which led to a mini goal mouse scramble. Which led to a to a shot that was uh, wonderfully saved by Hugo Lloris, and I think it's a shame about Martial because I thought he actually had a good um, uh, good few minutes coming on as a sub, um, better than than we uh, than we saw than we used to seeing from him. So I thought it was a shame that the France's only um, chance conceded to the Netherlands came from a Martial error. So it was a shame. Well, Philip. Given that you, like myself, are, are paying more attention to Pogba playing for his country than for his club, mm. uh, what are your thoughts? Is he a luxury or is he a necessity for France? Uh, I still say I still say he's a he's a luxury, um, especially after after the game we we saw he was not particularly uh, seen against uh, Bulgaria. Where it was uh, more of the uh, uh, the JJ, uh, the GG show. So Griezmann and, and Gamero. Well, I thought he got he got quite a bit, uh, quite a bit of stick for not uh, being uh, the ever-present uh, player that uh, we know he can be. I thought he was a bit harsh, but I thought against Holland it was much, uh, much better in terms of um, vision, his distribution. Now I didn't think he had a, a fantastic game. He, uh, I thought he. Didn't uh, uh, influence the, uh, the the attack that much before his goal, and uh, I'll repeat what Nathan said: it's a it's a good strike, but it's it's a strike that should have should have been saved, especially from uh, from a goalkeeper of uh, Stekelenburg's experience. Um, but when when you saw him next to uh, Matuidi, uh, you just saw Matuidi look like a head, headless chicken, a bit like when you're. When uh, when you're a young boy, you're starting to play football, and you see uh, a guy who's wearing a different shirt from you, you'll say, "Okay, I have to pass the ball because uh, then I'm going to lose it." And Matuidi usually played it sideways or played it uh, um, backwards, or to Pogba. And then you saw Pogba; he he actually uh, put his head up and said, "Okay, who's available?" And you saw such a different um, a difference in terms of using the ball between the two of them. It we we just saw. I, I actually thought Pogba's not the problem. It's the player he, he plays with that is the problem. So maybe it gives a chance to uh, maybe uh, maybe Conte is a bit too uh, too defensive. But I'm thinking more of a Rabio Rabio Tolisso type. 
which mm. would be interesting. But you know, Deschamps has to has to has to try things with this uh, with this squad. I mean, we just won possibly the toughest game of the group. Now I, I'm I'm not sure who will finish second between. Well, I'm I'm uh, getting ahead of myself there. I'm not sure who will finish in front of who between Holland and Sweden. But I'm thinking the the game in Amsterdam is going to be um, on paper is a lot tougher than the game in in Stockholm. So I think Dijon has has a luxury with the friendlies and with the West qualifiers against, uh, shall we say, Belarus again against Bulgaria, to uh, to actually try stuff with that midfield because this is where he needs to to be trying stuff a lot mm. and you know as soon as possible yeah i mean maybe lasana dr can recover from his mysterious back yeah. injuries that have also kept him away from marseille uh nathan come on to you kevin gamero had a fine match against an outclassed decidedly outclassed bulgaria but he really struggled to some extent against the more resolute dutch side virgil van dyke had a really nice match in particular there at least from my perspective should he continue to get a chance against Sweden, or should we look to see the likes of Giroud or somebody else come back in in a month's time? I like Gamera. Um, I've talked about how I've liked him before, and I thought he was, as you mentioned, really good against Bulgaria, but that was a lower standard of opponent that really struggled with the movement of him and, and Griezmann. But he's, I think he struggles against the Dutch. He's more reliant on the players around him to get that service as that front man. I don't think... I think it's 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 probably nice to say that Griezmann didn't have the best of games um he lost possession a lot he was a little he was for his standards very inconsistent I thought and I, I was really disappointed with the way he played and that pulled Gamero out of it as he had less of a link Paye wasn't as influential as he can be Sissoko's never really going to link up attacks so well so he, he was a little bit isolated against two centre-backs that are relatively informing in, in Van Dyke and um oh, yeah, yeah. So Bruma, who's who's doing reasonably well at Wolfsburg now as well, that both of them really could. It was too easy for them at times. Um, maybe again, Gamero should be focused on his movement a little bit, but more and 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 darting around a little bit more. But I don't think that either Giroud or um, Andre Piergignac offer you anything else. Uh, the only reason I would possibly drop him is if between now and the next international break, Lacazette's fit and firing again. That's the only reason I would think about dropping him, in all honesty, because uh, neither of the other two strikers that were there on international duty, I don't think, are um, worthy of mis- displacing him unless you want to put Griezmann up front on top and then maybe play a 4-3-3. But that, whether he would do that is 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 up in the air as well. But uh, I would stick with him, yeah. Philip, I want to talk to you about somebody who you follow for club and country, that's Blazin Tweedy. He's been a little bit more peripheral for... Uh, he mm. was a bit more peripheral for for both at the start of the season, uh, but he's really been one of France and PSG's more consistent players in the last six weeks. He's even looked comfortable uh, as on Monday in a midfield two or wide on the left as part of an attack at a 4-3-3-3 that he played for PSG. What do you think's behind uh, his improved form in the last six weeks or so? Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm still of the opinion that his best position is on the left-hand side of the 4-3-3 with um, the three midfielders playing um, um, next to uh, next to each other. I don't. Uh, I don't think he was uh, particularly good against um, against Holland, especially when you compared him to uh, to Pogba. The problem is we have such um, um, 
got such into a habit of praising him for being for being the guy with three lungs or even four sometimes running around all over the place playing so so well um, and we've seen last season and a um, couple of games where he's been dropped at the beginning of the season where um it's still it's still very very good i mean uh, not to not criticize or anything but um it's just um some um, some of the critics may say that uh, maybe he's past his prime, uh, given given that um, he ha he doesn't play um, at a level that, that is so um, intense as it was two to three years ago, and we saw it against Holland. I mean, against against Holland, it was um, it was uh, much more below par than uh, than Paul Pogba, um, and probably probably the um, the worst uh, the worst midfielder. I don't. I don't think the formation suits him. I don't think it has the Euros, and I don't. Uh, I don't think um, he's uh, comfortable playing in a four-two, in a four-two-three-one. Hmm. So you you don't see you don't you don't think that he's had a better start to the season than people would have expected. I mean, he was a bit unsettled with these rumors of yeah. Juventus. No, for PSG, I think I think it's uh, it's been okay. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't been playing at first, and um, I I really truly believe that he wanted to uh, he wanted to leave, but then he said, okay, well, I'm going to stay for PSG at least for this season. Uh, might as well make the most of it. But uh, you know, for for fans, I just uh, I just don't uh, uh, I just don't I, I just think that um, trying something new um, would probably involve uh, putting him on the bench. Mm. Yeah. I want to bring you both in, Nathan Philip, on this last point. Uh, the, that's the under-21, or les espoirs, mm. as they're known in France. This team has some of Ligue 1's best players. I'm not saying best young players. I'm saying best players. And like mm. Tama Lamar, Corentin Toliso, Adrian Rabio. Yet, they failed against a really unimpressive qualification group to qualify for the European Championships next summer. Uh, they dropped points in two matches, admittedly, when they finished with 10 men. They also lost the death away to Ukraine. Do you both, uh, Nathan, first. Is this an issue that's not qualifying in terms of these players' international careers going forward? And secondly, how important is tournament experience uh, in a young player's development? Tournament experience, for starters, is absolutely vital, I think, because as you see in all levels of football, I mean, look at the players that played for Germany in the um, 2010 World Cup and then oh, how many of those players stayed on for their World Cup success in 2014. Um, well, obviously... And then you think back to two years before that, how many of those players started in the Euro 2008 Under-21s final for Germany and then carried on with that team, eventually winning that World Cup. So it shows you how important that can be, for one thing. But we've we've seen some comments from the um, the Under-21s manager recently. Um, I'm just remembering his name. Cause it's just yeah, but he's. I think he's just about to leave his post, I believe, if I remember rightly. And that, and he was saying that the players were working as um, possibly as, as as their own selves rather than as a collective. And that's maybe the issue, um, really, with this side of full stop is they have terrific talent. Whether he used them all the time, obviously, sometimes the likes of Rabiot has, has dipped his toes in the, the senior squad. So has um, Usman Dembele, who was part of the squad that's been around this time. But you, you've mentioned the right things, little little niggles and these kind of things, losing it to death to Ukraine. Uh, Paul Nardi being sent off in one of the games against um, Macedonia, where another goal might have shifted things. <sighs> they just were probably a little bit unlucky. The, the, 
the qualifications for these kind of things are so tight in the under-21s realm that you need to make sure you're on your game every week. And inconsistencies in squad selection, possibly, because of how good these young players are and worthy of possible full call-ups, um, has probably interrupted their flow um, and main, means that they miss out, which is unfortunate because they're a really talented group. If they, would, if they make the tournament, that would have been really important, especially to those who are more on the fringes. Um, I'm thinking of players that aren't really of that top level. Like you mentioned, the best players in Liga. I'm thinking of the other players that could really benefit from that kind of experience in their future. Um, as some of them have already benefited from from the under-19s, like Ludovic Bla. Um, yeah, they need they made me the long strong look at this and 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 thinking whether players should stay in the under twenty ones until they feel like they can make the threat uh, the move up and not change things around too often because it, it seems to have unsettled them. But it's a shame because they would have I think they would have made big waves if they made it. I found into into maybe a bit uh, too much uh, too much pressure from their from their clubs to to be do, to be doing something. I mean, I'm not I'm not quite sure if the clubs are quite happy to uh, uh, give um, usage chance at club level, and that uh, the guys the, the boys who are 17 or 18 um, start to play for their club. They really want to uh, cement a place uh, in Liga. They want to keep playing. They get a professional contract. They're over the moon with it, and uh, may- maybe maybe that's under twenty-one um, squad uh, comes comes afterwards. Maybe the motivation is not uh, is not quite there. Um, I'm re- I'm really trying to, to to think of of some uh, exp- some kind of explanation because watching watching the squad again the, the goalkeepers are, are fine uh, so are the uh, the defenders we've got Isadiop from uh, from Toulouse Kimpembe who who could be actually playing week in week out for Paris Saint-Germain uh, in in midfield Cozielo Rabio Blanc Toliso uh, just you know tell me tell me another side that has uh, that quality of players at under 21 level uh, it's just uh, it just baffles me and uh, maybe the, the the short version would be maybe it's a jinx against France uh, because it's been what more than ten years we haven't made a under twenty one tournament, which is absolutely amazing. I mean that's a, an amazing statistic uh, given the quality. So yeah, <laughs> very very uh, disappointing. Yeah, fine team featured the likes of Olivier Vigneault mm. uh, back in two thousand four. So it's <laughs> it, it certainly has or two thousand five rather. It certainly has been a while. Uh, yeah. We'll let you get some sleep now. Thanks for, for joining us. Look forward to recapping with you on Monday. Uh, yeah. and we are now joined by Adam White and Peter Bowler, our regular preview show correspondents, to look at a really exciting weekend in Liga. Uh, so let's start with Friday's matches. And Toulouse-Monaco is the early evening kickoff. We've had, had two matches on a Friday. Uh, it's a little bit different schedule for Liga this weekend due to the Champions League matches. Uh, so Adam, Monaco are just a point off the top. And a huge trip to Moscow, though. Is looming on Tuesday. What should Jardim's strategy be uh, in this match as regards to starting eleven? Um, I think it's, it's an interesting question because it's something that Jardim has uh, got right. Um, for in their previous four Champions League games, they haven't been defeated. They've won three of those games. So the selection policy for the games preceding Champions League games has actually been top notch. And we've mentioned in re- recent pods that. Um, the, even though perhaps there isn't the really deep sort of strength and depth in, in Monaco's team, they are able to rotate in some areas 
and still get results. Um, but before they they won the winning before the the previous game, um, home to Angers, who have proved in recent weeks are a very very good side. So I imagine that he'll continue to use his squad as much as he can, as much as it will allow, because they're definitely fighting on two fronts. That's a very tough Champions League group for them. They started relatively well, very well, winning at Spurs and getting that last-minute flick goal at home in the second game. So they're, they're on course there. As you said, they're only a, a point off of the top in league end. So he needs to manage it carefully, which he's done brilliantly well so far. So um, he sort of min- sort of maximised his using of, use of resources. So Fabinho missed out before the previous game. The first group game, Jamaltino missed out the game before that. Bodanovo Silas missed out the following game. So he's rotated this squad really well. And we talked about the Lille game in particular. They went to Lille, although Lille are poor, as we discussed before, and won 4 1. And they were very sort of imperious in that performance. So I imagine that players will be rested. Sadiba and Jameson didn't even make the squad before the previous game. So he'll continue to rotate. But do so wisely. And some of his premier players, perhaps Glick, who's played every game so far this season, and Pat Fabinho might might still make the team. So he'll mix it with some of the younger players who might come in. Um, you might say, you might see him and Buffalo Lotan, which would be nice. Um, Carrillo got a couple of goals in the previous game, maybe. So he he could be a, a useful player, perhaps, in this game. So he'll continue to rotate. And another thing that he's done well is he's given his premier players that did start the previous game before a Champions League game, he's given them sort of 20 minutes, half an hour rest at the end of games. So not only has he rotated well, got results, but he's also maybe been able to give players like Martinho came off with 20 minutes to go before the previous game in the Champions League in league and Bernardo Silva only got 64 minutes in, in the previous game. So he's, he's, he's something that he's proved that he's very good at. So I imagine he'll continue to rotate and give his players rest where he can and continue to get results. So it's been, been quite impressive so far. And I imagine that it will stand him in good stead for the, for the midweek game in Moscow. Yeah, it does appear, too, as a bonus that Adama Traore is uh, in the 18 for uh, tomorrow. Not uh, There had been some doubts about his availability. Coming on to you, Peter, Toulouse have been more heavily affected than Monaco by international travel, like Steve Iago and Isaiah Asi- Silla, in particular, both haven't played in Africa, but and haven't really rotated much this season. Uh, will the energy of Monaco catch up to them, or... Will the youngish squad not be feeling any ill effects from this sort of travel? Quite possibly. Um, it's one of those things, really, isn't it? I, I think, obviously, Monaco are on a bit of a high at the moment. Such a fantastic performance against uh, Mets last week with a 7-0. Um, so I think that alone is going to make things difficult because, you know, there's going to be so much positivity in the Monaco camp. But, yeah, I think it will help to le- to lose that they have um, young players. Um Though just because they're young doesn't necessarily mean that they're, uh, you know, um, that they're going to avoid tiredness. If if anything, you know, they could potentially be be even more with all the travelling as well that goes into um, goes into the international football. So I, th- I think it's going to be a- another great game. I would fancy Monaco to to win that one, but um, yeah, I, I I hope to lose and I won't be too too affected by that. All right, so let's get some predictions then. Uh, Adam, we'll come on to you first. Um, I think I think this is going to be the hardest game for Monaco before our Champions League game so far. I think Toulouse at home, 2-1 Toulouse. Just, I'm a big fan of Dupraz and the guys, so 2-1. All right, Peter, for yourself? Uh, I am going to say 2-0 to Monaco. Nathan? Yeah, really interesting game. I... Uh, uh... I think some weaknesses in Toulouse was slightly exposed against Colney of the week. So I'm going to go 2-1 Monaco. Okay. 
Uh, I'm going to go for a one-all draw myself. All right. And then we're going to move on to the other match on Friday. That's Leon's trip to Nice, which could see the return of Alexandre Lacazette, who has been also named in uh, Leon's traveling squad. Nathan, should Leon risk him for this chance to move up the table or save him from the Juventus match coming off the injury as he is? Uh, just to double-check, the Juventus game, is is it at Parco L or is it at the Juventus Stadium? Just as a check, because if it's at Juve, I would say definitely playing. It is at Lyon. Right, excellent. That makes it even harder. Super. Um, oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because especially, I always say in the Champions League, win your home games even if it is against someone like Juve. And the loss to Sevilla sort of especially highlights that they need to get a result, a, at least a positive one, even if that's a draw against Juve. Um, so I save him for the Juve match um, just because I think... Well, it's against Nice, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> I'm tossing and turning. It depends on how fit Bruno Genesio thinks he is. If he thinks he's fit, ready to go, and can play both games starting, if not, he needs to decide which one's more priority, more of a priority. He needs the points in the league to start catching all those in front of him because there's, there's at this stage of the season, to amount a title challenge at least, there's, there's too much of a gap. Then that needs to change. But um, if he thinks he has enough with the players he has to beat Nice, which is a tricky task this season, um, then you, you you leave him out and start him in the Juve game. Um, if it, it's a much easier decision if it's away in Italy because you probably risk losing that game um, in the sense of winning possibly at home against against them next time out and then winning the game against Sevilla later on in the group. But it's a real fine balance in that, it, isn't it? So it's it's all on it's a heavy decision for Genesia. I don't want to be in his shoes. Um, I probably. If he's ready, I'd play him in this game because a win against Nice is knocking something off your rivals at the moment anyway. So um, I would probably risk him just, but it depends on if he's 85%. If he's if he's less than 95%, don't play him until that Juve game, save him because there's no point because you risk him getting injured again and then it being another process of getting recovered again. So you want him to at least stand a chance of, of playing one of the games for the entire 90 minutes. So... Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun for him, at least. I don't want to be in his shoes. Nice, you know, on the other hand, have few injury woes. Uh, no new injuries. Dalbert is, a, is a, perhaps a doubt, but whether he would start anyway is a matter of some debate. Um, Adam, does an emphatic win here really cement them as genuine title contenders, or do you need to see more from them? I think it would certainly go a long way to, to keeping them as in people's thoughts for the title, but I think in the long run you're going to need to see a lot more from them. I mean, if they were to win this game, it would be it would definitely be a massive step in the right direction. But there is the caveat to that that Leon are facing a big Champions League game during the week, so they're not necessarily going to be entirely focused on this game with with the issues surrounding Lacazette's fitness and things. So a win would be good, but it wouldn't necessarily be um, as crucial as it would be in a few months' time to, to sort of really cement their title challenges. There's still a few questions over over Nice, even though they've done brilliantly, they've been fantastic so far this season to be top after up to the second international break in October is, is a good, is a brilliant start really. Um, but whether they can maintain this form is as, as we've seen across Europe, across football in general, you often get teams that start brilliantly well and 
sort of all that sort of surprise package. It's not necessarily the case with Nice because they were so good last season too. But given the overhaul in their squad, there's still questions over Pat Spalatelli, whether he could maintain his form, which has been great, and his, his goal to win the game with Lauren was fantastic. If he can maintain that for the, for the course of the season, too, which he would have to, I guess, to, you know, can keep them, was one of the key factors in keeping them in, in the title challenge. Whether a 3-5-2 is going to work long-term in, in league, and it's not necessarily a, a formation that's prolific in the league, whether that will, whether that will be Lucien Favre's weapon of choice, if you like, for the, for the remainder of the year, and whether that will work in the long, in the long run. Their squad isn't the, the biggest in midfield. They've got options, but in defence and in, in, in forward areas, if they were to get some injuries and suspensions, there's probably you know some issues whether the other players can come in and perform as well to such a high standard. And players like um, Sahar is only 17, whether his form can continue for the for the season. So there's questions there. But I think the real ace, as Nathan mentioned at the start of the year, is Lucien Favre. He's he's as Nathan mentioned, I think on, the, on our preview pod for the for the season, he's probably the signing of the year. He, it, getting him was a massive coup for Nice. So I think. He, if they're going to sustain it, his experience from taking over at Gladbach, and I remember when he took over at Gladbach, they were terrible near the bottom of the league. He kept them up and took them to one of the, one of the top four sides in the Bundesliga. He's a brilliant manager. And if he can keep them in a title challenge, even at sort of, sort of late spring, uh, uh, late spring sort of time, would be amazing. So I think if Lucien Favre can maintain this, the, the, this, this tune he's getting from, from his side, then um, his experience and, and the way he goes about his business is a, is a really interesting, really tactically aware, really thoughtful manager is is their ace in the pack i think so still questions but if, if any of those questions are going to be answered father's the man you want at the helm so a big win tomorrow would be great but they've still got a long way to go all right let's get our predictions then uh, peter hmm, this is a, a a tricky one for me um i'm going to go for a nice win one nil Ethan, two two draw two two Goals. All right. I'm going to go for a 2 1 Nice win. Adam? I'm going to go. I, I think Nice might sneak it, but I, I was going to go 1 0 and then I wanted to go 2 1. So I'll go 3 2 Nice. Five the odd goal. <laughs> All right. So, Peter, we'll stay with you then. Let's move on to the multiplex. Uh, Lille welcomes Sterling Gangomp to the Stade Pierre Morois. After a fine start to the season, what's gone wrong as of late for Antoine? Antoine Camboire's team. It's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think for me, it's a question of quality, especially in the kind of attacking areas. Um, main threat really is is Jimmy Briand, who's been such an excellent player over the years, but I think age is catching up with him a little bit, and he hasn't hasn't quite looked um, convincing in front of goal this season. Um, uh, and I also think a, a problem for up has been their formation. Playing a 4-4-2 requires a lot of energy, especially in the middle of the park. And I think um, I think teams have caught up with them and they've run out of steam a bit recently. Um, maybe the international break, though, would, would have been something that, that's done them a lot of good. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how many players from, from, uh, from theirs actually were used over the international period. So it'd be interesting if anybody's got the answer to that one, but perhaps uh, that, that break might have done them good and, and helped them to refresh and, um, you know, stand a, stand a good chance, especially against this Lille team who, who have obviously been so, so poor so far this season. Nathan, what about Lille? There, were there positives for you in the win over Nancy or will this team continue to struggle over the course of the season? The solo positive from that winning against Nancy was that they won against Nancy um, because they probably shouldn't. And 
there was a goal for Nolsey disallowed for offside in bemusing circumstances. It certainly wasn't offside. I don't know where the, the linesman's pulled that one from. It's one of the poorest decisions I've seen in a long while. And Nancy were battering at the door even before then and Lille sneak a goal and they win 1-0. Um, so they really, really looked out. Whether that's put the confidence back into them, I don't know. They're probably lucky again to play a gang on side that didn't look great against Wren. Um, the problem they had was without Sloan Privat to be... It was strange. Kumbari, without Sloan Privat, decided to play Jimmy Briand and Marcus Coco as strikers, and it didn't really work. They couldn't keep the ball off enough further field. Um, they struggled for width as well because of it, and they sort of... They probably should have earned a point just simply because they were so solid in the middle with Mustafa Diallo and, and Luca Doe. Uh, but uh, this is going to be either a really crazy game where finally two teams go for it and or com- at least Kung Bar is gang up and do something, or it's going to be an absolute um, barn burner in the wrong way where, where people flee for their lives, hoping that they never have to watch the game like that again. Um, but... Uh, l- <sighs> Yeah, the positive for Lille the other week was the win. Um, there's nothing much else to write about. Um, Ant- Antonetti should be still really in the hot seat. He still needs another result for me because um, they're still not playing well enough. Something needs to happen in this one. All right, Nathan, what's your prediction then? Uh, I'm going to go 1-0 no gang up. All right. Myself, I'm going to go with scoreless draw. Oh, that's what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, for yourself, your prediction? Uh, one all. All right. And Peter? I'll go uh, two two. All right. Let's finish the program then with a look at Marseille hosting Mets. Perhaps not the most appetizing for League on television programmers, just the Sunday night match is usually a little more appetizing than this. But Adam, what can you tell us about Mets? Did Hinchberger get his changes wrong after the red card two weeks ago? in the last 7-0 loss to Monaco, or had this been coming in a more general sense for a promoted team? A little bit of both, I think. I think, I thought um, young um, uh, Greta Hine, who's come in and, and played well, who was sort of sacrificed after that, the cause selling off for the hours come on, was probably was, a little, in hindsight, probably not the best idea. He was the only person that was really offering anything, but given they were 3-0 down, and down to 10 men, I think at that, at that moment, that against against a far superior team, it had to be damage limitation. So I think that that would be the way that Hinchberger would have had to have gone. So I can see why why Heim was, was was sacrificed. I think overall they've done right. They're, I mean they've started well, but when you look at the teams that they've played, perhaps where they've got their points have been against the weak opposition. So maybe I don't know if it's been coming, but I think that they are quite in in sort of especially in forward sort of wide areas and perhaps even in the field they're not the, the most solid of teams i don't know if the fullbacks get that much protection i don't know i don't know how much man manjaka and and Decore really protect the back the back four so perhaps they are open to to conceding goals uh, i think at home they lost three other at home to bordeaux and they could have conceded more in that game so um, it's not necessarily the first time this has happened so i think They'll, they'll still be, although it's a pretty, pretty dismal, dismal loss to, to Monaco, 7 0. It doesn't happen in France very often, a scoreline like that, or pretty anyway, to be honest. But in France, especially, those scorelines are unusual. So it'd be a huge confidence blow to them. But I think overall, they'll be happy with their position. And even though they're perhaps not the most secure at the back, they are going to score goals. So I, I, even though they've got those points against the weak opposition, that'll be fine. I think 
hunting in the season, they would have taken 17th in, on August the 1st, the beginning of August, at the end of the year. So, um, yes, Hinchberger possibly could have gone slightly different with his changes, but I think it was fair enough. Dimmage limitation was the only way to go in, in, that, in that situation. Uh, but overall, their season looks, looks fine. I, I was very disappointed with Bisevac in that 7-0 loss. There was a one goal that Carrillo scored where he just gave up. And it just, I think perhaps Milan and Follett at the moment are the, are the, the, probably should be the best way centre of that partnership. And I've, I've said how much I like Renacard on the pod before, but I don't think, I, I haven't been particularly impressed with him overall this season. And he, he got a bit sort of, he lost his call a little bit against Monaco, gave away that penalty, tore around, possibly could have got himself sent off as well. And he hasn't been the leader I, I hoped he would be for them. And so there are holes in this team. And over the course of the season, that may wear them down. And I still think they're going to be in the bottom five come the end of the year. But given the start overall, Hinchberger will still be pleased, you know, for a better result against Marseille this weekend. So a long way to go for them, but they look okay. Peter, how about Marseille? They've been, well, been frustrated to draw out the death against Angers, but they looked at an improved side on the whole, wouldn't you say? I think so, yeah. I think it's important not to take too much away from Angers. I thought they deserved their point and um, they've been playing better than um, I think many think this season. So I do think they deserve their point. Um, I think Marseille are certainly um, a bit more entertaining to watch at the moment. I love what Gomis is offering to that team and uh, Florian Tovan is, is probably one of the most uh, on-fire players in Liga at the moment. So there's, there's certainly a lot of things to like about this Marseille side. Um, I think for me... The off-field stuff that's going on, obviously, at the moment with the new ownership group and the kind of transition over from the um, the old owners is always, despite how the club want to spin it, it's always going to be a distraction. So um, it's difficult times for Marseille, just as it's difficult times for Marseille fans to, to watch their club like this. Um, but I think they are on the up. Um, there's... Plenty of good players in there. Like I said, Tovan, Saar, uh, Cabela has, has impressed me. I've been really impressed by um, Johan Pele as well in goal. I, I think it was a, a big step up for him to come in and fill Mandanda's boots. Um, but I, I have been impressed by him so far this season. So, um, yeah, there's, there's certainly things to smile about for Marseille. Um, and if they, can, if they can pull off a win here, yeah, I, I think they'll be, they will be happy. All right, let's get our predictions then. I, I will start... Uh, I'll go with a 2 0 win for Marseille. Adam? Uh, 1 0 Marseille. Peter? I'm going to say 2 1 to Marseille. And Nathan? I'm going to go with a goalless draw. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Thomas de Dillon reacts to having seven put past him the other week and, and see if he can recover because as a young goalkeeper that can be a tough thing to take so how he reacts in this game will be really interesting to watch He's either going to be unbeatable or it's going to be flood, floodgates again isn't it? Yes, so that's why it's going to be really really interesting that's going to be the main storyline for me if, if he can recover from that um, it will show how good mentality wise he is and how far he might be able to go in this game Alright, so that's all for this week. Make sure to tune in to the GFFN show on Monday after to recap all these matches and to follow us at GFFN on Twitter and to visit us at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com for all your latest headlines and updates from around the world of French football. Thank you and have a pleasant weekend.